Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Join Hoda Kotb for a brand new season of her podcast, Making Space. For season five, I am making space to talk to people who are providing a sense of hope and inspiration when life changes course. Uplifting conversations with inspiring individuals like NFL legend Drew Brees, singer-songwriter Ziggy Marley, and today's show co-anchor Savannah Guthrie as you have never heard her before. I found faith more viscerally, not because the bad thing didn't happen, but because it did. I promise you, like me, will leave these conversations with some wisdom for your own journey, empowered and inspired to make space in your own life. New episodes of Making Space with Hoda Kotb are released every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now. Thank you so much. Called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com and definitely check out those shows as well. Hi, podcast listeners. I just wanted to wish you all a very happy Thanksgiving and happy Thanksgiving week. I hope you're catching up on all the back episodes that you may have missed now that you're driving all over or flying or doing whatever. And I just wanted to say how truly, truly, truly thankful I am for all of you, for all of you tuning in regularly, listening to these episodes. I'm thankful for all the authors who have come on as guests and who continue to listen and just everybody who has made this podcast really take off and enabled me to do things like start a publishing company and open a bookstore and do all the things I'm doing. Um, I don't know. I, Without all of you listening and supporting the show, 
none of this would be possible. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you, thank you, thank you. Have a great Thanksgiving. Tomi Obaro is the author of Delay Wed's Destiny, a novel. Tomi is an editor at BuzzFeed News who currently lives in Brooklyn. She works at the Culture Desk as lead editor at BuzzFeed News. This is one of the several co-hosted episodes by Alicia Fernandez-Miranda, whose own book, My What If Year, is coming out from Zivi Books in February of 2023. Listen to their conversation here. All right. Well, I am really excited to be here with Tomi Abaro, the author of Dele Wed's Destiny, which is coming out in paperback soon. It is coming out in paperback. I'm not sure yet when it's coming out, but it came out in June. So it came okay. out earlier. Because I wasn't sure if they were timing this to the paperback release, but I'm not sure. maybe maybe not. It's a while away. Okay, not to worry. Well, I don't care what format you buy this book in, but you should really go out and get this book. I loved it. And Tommy, welcome to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I will like try to contain myself from spending the whole time talking about all the things I loved, but like the first dozen pages, you just you just had everything for me. You had like a dramatic foreshadowing of events. You had a multi-generational story featuring Americans and immigrant Americans and their families, and which is always something that gets me. And you had a wedding, which is like basically my favorite plot device to read about anyway. So, but I'm not gonna spoil this book for people. Why don't I let you start out by telling everybody a little bit about what this book is about? So um, it's about three women who meet in college in northern Nigeria in the 80s. Their names are Anitan, Zainab, and Fumi. And they are reuniting for the first time in almost 30 years to celebrate the wedding of Fumi's daughter, Destiny, in Nigeria. And they haven't been together in the same place for that long. And so the story sort of ping-pongs between two timelines, one in the 80s um, when they're meeting each other, and we're sort of seeing like how their friendship developed. And then the other timeline is set in 2015 in Lagos for this lavish wedding. And Anitan is coming to Nigeria with her daughter, Remy. And so uh, I was just very interested in, in writing about, I, I always love books about friendships that sort of evolve over time. And then I, you know, have been to my first year of Nigerian weddings and I've always thought that there were that there was a source of drama there. Um, and then my mother has a, a similar sort of relationship. And I always say like, very, very loosely based, but like that, <laughs> the idea of like friendships, you know, they haven't lived in the same country, or like certainly not in the same state, like, you know, for decades. And so those are all things I was interested in exploring in the novel. I saw that in your acknowledgments that you noted your mom and your two aunties as your inspiration. And I loved that that was kind of your inspiration. So, or, you know, kind of loosely, loosely based. Are they still close friends? Is that a friendship you grew up watching kind of evolve over time? Yeah, definitely. Like I grew up with them, you know, essentially as my aunts and like their kids and my cousins. I had a book event in Atlanta where one of my aunts lives there and we stayed with her and her family. So yeah, they definitely feel more like family than um, friends. And I do think it is pretty laudable that they've been able to stay in such close contact. I love that. I'm from a Cuban family and it's very much like everyone's your cousin and you don't know like who's actually your cousin, who's not your cousin. Everyone's just your cousin. <laughs> um, yeah, that works for us too. Um, now, can you tell me a little bit about your story and how you came to writing? I did a little bit of Google research about you before we were recording this. And so I know you have had a kind of fascinating and mobile upbringing. How did you get to where you are today? Well, I mean, so I did, I moved around a fair bit in my childhood. And I mean, I do think 
uh, I lived in the Gambia for a while, which is like the tiniest country in West Africa. And I think that experience was good. I have a twin sister. So we basically, there wasn't a lot to do. So we read a lot. And I mean, I feel like that's sort of like, you know, the origin story for basically every writer, you know, they're usually a child that really enjoyed reading. Mm. And like, if you wanted to punish them, you would take away their books, you know, like that sort of relationship to reading, which was one that I definitely had. And then I don't know at what point I was also writing a lot too. Like we would visit family in Nigeria every summer. And I remember I'd ask like my aunts and uncles for notebooks and like there are all of these stories that I wrote. So I'd always had an interest in writing and reading. I think at some point, I think probably in college, I I just began, I stopped writing and I just began to get the sense that like, okay, well, you know, you're trying to have a career. So I chose the extremely stable field of journalism, uh, <laughs> which is interesting. But I mean, in, the, in that experience, especially like I've been an editor at BuzzFeed News for almost seven years. I've been living in New York and my my manager is somebody who's also published some two, uh, three novels, actually, Carolina Vatslaviak. And I worked with like Sadie Jones and Isaac Fitzgerald. So people who were all involved in publishing had were in the process of publishing or had published books and I be, it began to feel a little bit more like attainable again and so I would say like maybe I guess in 2018 I started writing trying to see if I could write fiction again sort of you know taking it more seriously as a habit and I wrote a whole novel that will never see the light of day but it was good in terms of teaching me that I could actually write something that was like 70,000 or 75,000 words. And then it wasn't, I started writing this novel in the summer of 2019 and then I sold it in the summer of 2020. So it's been, I, I, I sometimes feel aware of like, you know, my lack of MFA or like I didn't even major in English, but you know, I'm also like, you know, not drowning in like tons and tons of student debt. And um, so, I mean, yeah, it's been somewhat of a for like secure securitist path, but uh, yeah, that is my 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 story. Do you find it difficult to switch from your BuzzFeed brain to your kind of fiction writing brain, given that you are working in words, but you're doing two very different styles, two very different things? Yeah, I mean, I think that that is something that helped a lot, actually. It was not, well, one, being an editor, so I'm not writing that much. It just feels like you're exercising a different part of your of your brain, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then with writing, it just, yeah, it's just completely different. And I think if I had been a staff writer, I think that would have been harder. I do, I mean, definitely like in the writing process, I think sometimes I realized that I would have a tendency to, to over-edit early on. Like with early drafts, I think it was just, and in some ways it was almost like a procrastination technique. Like if I just like edit the same sentence, like a million times (laughs) about the next sentence. So I think that was something that I like had to sort of learn to like just accept the fact that whatever I write won't be amazing for a while. But on the whole, I think definitely having, balancing between those two poles, like of of editing and my day job and writing, you know, for fun, I think was, was good and helpful. I'm like really curious what your first novel was about, the first thing that you wrote and that you put away. It's funny. It was the exact same title. And similarly, the title characters, well, no, one of the title characters is more important in that novel. But I mean, it was, I think the main issue was that there were still certain things like there was also, it's also a book that starts in an airport and like there's a wedding. I think I just didn't quite know what I wanted the characters to do yet. And I wasn't particularly... It adhered more closely to like my point of view as like a 
Nigerian American. And I think I was less interested or like the, the thing that gravitated me towards writing this book was, you know, having to sort of take that vote of confidence of like, okay, I'm going to inhabit the point of view of women in their fifties who have grown up in Nigeria. And I have neither, neither of those things. And so that's what made writing it like a little bit scary, but then also kind of exciting. And yeah, I mean, it was again, good lessons learned. Um, <laughs> needed to do it to get to where you were. But I think actually one of the things that you do so beautifully in this book is you take us to these different places. And it reminded me of when I was little and I did not travel a lot until I was an adult really. And so books were how I learned about other places, other cultures outside of where I grew up, which was Miami was very multicultural anyway, but uh, lots of other places that I had never been to. What was it like for you constructing the different locales where the books, where the book took place? So the university and then in Legos for the wedding, you know, what was your kind of process for doing that? Um, I mean, I think it it felt somewhat organic. I sort of had the sense, like even when I was writing like the prologue and like the first chapter that it would move around in time a bit. And so it was sort of a combination of relying a bit on memory, like the experience of like sitting in Lagos traffic and like waiting for luggage mm-hmm. at the airport or very like, <laughs> very, you know, visceral childhood memories that I have. And then for the university scenes that required a little bit more, like doing a little bit of research, not too much, but like there are a few incidents in the novel that, that refer to like violence that went on at the time that are based mm-hmm. on um, true events. And so that was interesting in a different way. I mean, it felt like, you know, I was learning something even as I was writing it. And then also I, I like read, read a few books and then would also like watch um, like YouTube videos that people had posted of like their dorms or like just or, or like hiking and like Kafana Hill and all these sorts of things. So it was like a, a combination of like memory, a little bit of research, a little bit of imagination. And that was sort of how it worked. It was, you definitely took us there. And I also loved everything about the wedding. And I saw on your Instagram that you went to a fake wedding the other day. Can you just tell me a little bit more about that? Because I sort of love that and feel like I would like to somehow make fake weddings a part of my life. Yeah, it was very interesting. It, and it's sort of like fortuitous that like this, the event was happening around like when my book was coming out so I could write about it as like promo or whatever. But yeah, there, there's this group of um, young Nigerian-American guys who call themselves the Vibes and Trips crew. And during the pandemic, I think like in like the summer of 2021, one of them who's like 22 was like, oh, I miss going to a wedding. Like, what what if we saw a fake wedding? And so they did. And like the bride and groom didn't know each other. He played the groom. He like DM'd someone to ask if she would like play the bride. And they had like a fake pastor. And for that wedding, it was like a Western wedding. So she didn't wear white, but she wore like this gold dress. And Mm then they like had a party. So I think he paid like maybe 20 or 50 bucks for like open bar Nigerian food and then they had a DJ and then the next weddings have just become progressively more and more sort of immersed in various <laughs> ethnic groups traditions so like the second wedding was like a Yoruba wedding the other wedding was like an Igbo wedding the one I went to was like Ghanaian and Nigerian and it was like all of these like Gen Z Zoomers who like had barely heard of like I felt so like you know like the millennial cringe I felt so <laughs> old I and hip but it was really beautiful to see because you know they have like a they had a live wedding band so they're playing like Nigerian music and everybody was dancing and like as somebody who 
where I've grown up in America, I haven't necessarily lived in places with a ton of Nigerian community to so to sort of see like people younger than me, like really steeped and aware of those traditions was cool. But yeah, it was very it was very weird. But I mean, I, I it's like interesting. So I was like, it's cool that they're doing. Hey, grownups, the Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishful podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself, and it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast, and those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the Cat in the Hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. So sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic Tongue Twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. It, you know? I love it. Maybe you write your next book about something like that. But I'm just like, I'm at the, I'm past the wedding stage of my life. And this year has been people's 40th. So there have been some big parties to get everybody together. And I think reminding everybody, especially after the pandemic, like how nice it is to spend time all together in a social situation, dancing, celebrating, just like being joyful all together. But now everyone's going to be 41 soon. So no one wants to do a big 41st birthday party. So I'm like, oh, <laughs> crap, we need to find another way to have really big parties because it just seems brilliant. And I love a wedding. And you're absolutely right that weddings are full of drama. Have any of the bits and pieces that conspired or that happened at the wedding in the book taken from any real life experiences you have had? To a certain extent. I mean, I've been, I've been to like one or two pretty lavish weddings, but like, I mean, I, I definitely dialed the, you know, dialed it up a bit more. And that was like another thing where I kind of watched the Nigerian, Nigerians love a, a wedding video on YouTube. So like they will have these like incredibly ornately edited, like traditional wedding ceremonies. And I just like watched a bunch of them and sort of like cherry picked some of like the more the more sort of cringe worthy moments. Uh, yeah, and like I have very conflicted feelings about you know weddings in general. Like I think I mean that there's this. She she was part of like uh, Aminatu Sao. She was like podcast host, and I don't even think she's active on Twitter anymore. But I remember a long time ago she tweeted something like getting married is not an accomplishment, and I you know I feel similarly. It's like in some ways it's a miracle if you find someone you know that you get along mm. with. But I think like the emphasis on on something that you fundamentally don't have that much control over, like finding you know, a romantic partner, like this, it, the emphasis that we place on it. I mean, nothing I'm saying is like incredibly profound. Like I, I know other people feel similarly, but yeah, I was always interested in, and especially with Nigerian, with certain kinds of Nigerian weddings, it definitely feels more about, you know, showing off your wealth or like more about the parents than like the people actually getting married. And so I was interested in sort of like, in some ways, subtly critiquing that or even just like presenting it as it is, but like showing that like, you know, there are aspects of this that are kind of unseemly, you know, especially in a country with so much income inequality. 
And so tell us a little bit about your publishing process. So did you just write this? Everybody loved it and immediately came out. I wouldn't be surprised, by the way, if that's what happened because the book is really good. <laughs> but what was your process kind of from, okay, you've done it, you finished it, to getting published? It was pretty quick. And so I finished I finished writing it in the spring of 2020. And then I queried a few agents and then found I, the, the agent that I really wanted, PJ Mark. It was like, it was one of those rare moments where we got on a Zoom and I was like, okay, this is my agent. And he was like, you're my client. And it felt really symbiotic. Amazing. And then, yeah. And then it was, we went went to market, I guess. So I don't know if that's the terminology. And it was like that aspect felt, you know, in, in hindsight, I'm realizing I was very lucky. Like there was a lot of interest. So it didn't feel... It was sort of like the option of having choices is, you know, is really, really nice. So I think that aspect was was pretty seamless. And then I think it's like everything after that has felt a little bit more like, what's happening? Like, I don't, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's like the weirdness of like the post-publication. I feel like it's like a malaise that I've been warned about or friends say like, after you publish a book, you're prepared to feel like a little bit weird or like, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily, your emotions don't necessarily align. Um, the way that interesting to, and what what has your kind of promotion experience been like and I knew you were on tour over the summer have you enjoyed it like are you you know what are what is your kind of feeling been through that process I have I have mixed feelings I mean I think I I'm just in general somebody who doesn't self-promotion isn't something that comes naturally to me and so it always feels a bit like I'm like lying or like I'm like there's a part of me that isn't in alignment. And so it can feel very like disorienting, mm. but I mean, it's, it has also been really, really nice. I mean, I think just mainly in terms of just like the people from my life who have reached out and like, who came to events, like some people who I hadn't spoken to in ages who are really supportive. And I think like that aspect has been really good. And then also just like, you know, it still feels really thrilling to like, go to a bookstore and like see my book and like, you know, go to the airport and like my book is at the airport store. And like, that is really cool. I think everything else, it feels, I mean, it, it, it like ebbs and flows. It's like, it's, I think more than anything, it's just been surprisingly emotional and like not mm-hmm. one of like unalloyed, unabashed joy all the time. Yeah. Fair enough. That's good. Good warning. I'll look out for my post-pub malaise <laughs> when my book comes out. Are you are you still a really avid reader? Are you reading anything at the moment that you are loving? I it's I feel like I haven't been able to read as much as I would like, but I did finish reading If I Survive You short story collection by Jonathan Escoffery that I feel like was getting a lot of buzz. And it is really good. I have it in my TBR. I cannot wait to read it. Yeah, it's a good, it's a really astute writer. I mean, it's pretty, I feel like the stories are pretty like unrelenting, but like the way his his style is very interesting. And I think I am also just like, there's certain, but any book about like an immigrant family living in America, like that's like extremely my shit. I know, so tick, I, tick, tick, same. Yeah. Although I am preferential to a happy ending. Those two things do not always uh, align. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say the ending of that that series is a little ambiguous, but I did really enjoy that. And then I'm going. I'm actually going to a wedding like in a few hours in Canada, so I have I have books lined up on my Kindle. Nice, a real wedding, not a fake wedding. A real wedding, a real Nigerian. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, how much fun! And so, what's next for you in terms of your writing? I don't know. I mean, I. 
I feel like I had all these, like I was actually, I was working on something in the beginning of the pandemic and uh, I probably need to go back to it. I think, you know, I sort of put things on hiatus in terms of book promotion. And I'm also somebody who like tries to align with the seasons. And so like in the summer, it's very hard to be motivated to do anything indoors. So true. Now that things are cooling down, I, I expect I'll go back to that draft and kind of thoughts with it a bit. But I mean, the plan is to to keep writing fiction, maybe nonfiction at some point, but I definitely want to keep writing. Would you dig back into this world at all? Do a sequel or a prequel or take one of the characters and kind of explore a different direction? Maybe. maybe. She says with a lot of self-interest, I'm like, I'm ready for the sequel. I'll take that. I'll take that. My podcast that I host on Zibby's Network is called Quit Your Day Job. So I have to ask you, if you weren't writing and editing, what else would you be doing with your life? I think I would honestly be chilling. Like I don't, I, I'm very much in alignment with, you know, those viral TikToks that say, I don't dream of labor. So I would be maybe traveling, but I actually don't like traveling too much, like nothing too intense. But like, I mean, there are certain other countries in Africa I'd like to visit, hanging out with friends, like going to the beach, just very leisurely. That sounds great. Yeah, very leisurely activities, nothing too intense, not trying to optimize anything. I would just be like relaxing. Sounds fantastic. Do you think you don't like traveling because you moved around so much as a kid? Definitely. I think that's part of it. Yeah. I think that's probably part of it. I have this theory with my husband who does not love to travel as much as I do. And he also grew up kind of third culture kid moving around a lot. And he loves nothing more than staying home. And I'm always like, when's the next trip? What are we doing next? And I've now decided that I think this is because of our very different upbringings. I was sitting at home reading a lot of books and dreaming of travel. And he was actually traveling and probably not reading that many books, to be honest. But he's he's reading more now. Uh, tell me, what advice would you give to aspiring writers who are listening to this podcast? I mean, I think this is somewhat cliched, but I think it is true is that you just have to write, you know, you just have to do it. And I think there was a time, sorry, this is my partner's cat. I don't know if you hear it, but. No, but Uh, (laughs) it's welcome to join if it wants to come and meow. (laughs) But I do think that there's definitely a period where I thought that I needed somebody to kind of give me permission to write fiction or like I had all of these internal reservations that were preventing me from actually just like sitting down and doing the hard work of just writing. And like, I think, I think you just have to write and that's the only way to see that if you have something there and like, I'm talking to myself as, as much as, to anyone else right now because I'm also like okay if I want to write another book I'm just like all of these ideas about like what I want it to look like and I know at some point I just have to like sit down and write it great and where can listeners find more about you more information are you on social or do you have a website where can they kind of learn more about you and your upcoming work yeah I mean I'm on I have a website tomiobarrow.com I'm very reluctantly on Twitter but I'm not that interesting on Twitter <laughs> so. I don't know so don't well, follow you on Twitter okay yeah. And then similarly, with I'm very like reluctant social media person, but I, I do exist. I am on both Instagram and Twitter. So I think if, yeah, for recent updates, those places are fine. I also have my own domain, which I update infrequently. But yeah, you can find me there. I live in Brooklyn. So, you know, maybe we'll awesome. see each other. If you're in Brooklyn maybe too. around Brooklyn, maybe at any pay for admission ticket Nigerian weddings, people might be able to spot <laughs> you there as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, Toby, it's been amazing to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. 
Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Nail salon and grocery store. Wait, she's at the nail salon and the grocery store? I'm at the combination nail salon and grocery store. Groceries through Instacart delivered to my door. I don't have to choose between acrylics and the grocery store. 